was there. And so it seemed only natural that back in 2002, when he learned of a letter-writing organization focused on sending letters to inmates abroad, that he seized on that opportunity. The organization told him that he could write to more than one inmate if he liked, and so he began to write to three. And then as his correspondence went on and he began to develop relationships, however distant with these men, he upped it to four and then to 10, and then to 20, and then to 100. And now, Clive Jacobson maintains written correspondence with more than 550 prisoners abroad each Sunday afternoon as he rides on the train. Many of these people live in countries with extreme poverty and no opportunities to get out of it, Many of them, in a fit of desperation, did something criminal in an effort to take care of themselves or their wives or their children. Clive understands them, and his heart goes out to them. In his words, they can't undo the crime they've done, but no one is beyond redemption. I love that phrase. No one is beyond redemption. And I love even more that Clive Jacobson is doing something real, to reach out to people that are so very far from God. Well, in our passage today, we're going to see Jesus model this kind of thinking and behavior as well. He takes some unexpected actions to purposely spend time eating with sinners. And so we're going to read the text together today from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. The words are on the screen. Let's read together. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. The word of God. Well, our outline for today is pretty simple. First, follow the Savior. And then second, focus on sinners. And so let's consider those for a few minutes together. First, follow the Savior. I want you to look at verse 13. It says, Jesus went out again beside the sea. Now we learned last week that Jesus had recently returned to Capernaum, which is located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And people start running to him again. It says all the crowd was coming to him. The tense of this word is that the, the, the excitement is building. The crowd is building. And he was teaching them. The idea is that he was continually teaching. He kept teaching. Now we learn back in chapter 1 that Jesus was proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, the good news. Those were the words of Jesus. And so in the midst of all the people, Jesus notices one person. He saw 
Levi. Look at verse 14. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. That reminds me that Jesus is on a mission wherever he goes. No matter how many people are there, Jesus is focused on the needs of individuals, just like we are called to be focused on others. Crowds of people are everywhere, and yet Jesus locks in on Levi. Now, his parents must have had a lot of hope when this little boy was born because they named him Levi after one of the 12 sons of Jacob. What a great name for a little Jewish boy. It was from the tribe of Levi that the, that the priesthood was descended. And so Levi would have been raised to follow some kind of religious responsibility. You know, we so often make judgments of people based on their personal appearance, what they look like. But Jesus always saw more. Jesus sees past our sins and our failures and our brokenness. And somehow in the life of Levi, he sees a servant. Maybe he can tell that Levi is unsatisfied or searching for something of more significance in his life. Because when Jesus looks at people, he always sees potential. He knows you're a mess, but you still matter to him. He sees what no one else can see in our lives. He sees our guilt and our shame, certainly, but he also has plans and purposes for us. Others like to remind us of our past, but Jesus is always focused on our future. So he sees Levi sitting at the tax booth. Levi was a tax collector, which was another way of saying he was the scum of the earth. He had purchased a tax franchise, which allowed him to charge taxes on anyone walking by his booth. He was required to send in a certain amount of taxes to Rome, but he could charge whatever he wanted and keep the extra as personal profit. And so as a result, tax collectors like Levi, like Zacchaeus, who we meet in the Gospels, they often became very wealthy individuals. Capernaum was on a caravan route between east and west, and so it was a perfect place to set up a tax franchise. Levi would have been able to collect on imports and exports, on bridges and roads and harbors. He could tax the number of axles on a wagon or the number of legs on a donkey. He could charge a pedestrian tax if someone was out walking. He also charged taxes on the number of fish caught by the local fishermen. Tax collectors were dishonest. They were known to overcharge people, and when someone couldn't pay, they would give very high interest loans. They took bribes from the rich, and they extorted the poor. They were also disqualified. Tax collectors were not allowed to give testimony as witnesses in court because no one trusted them. Their tithes were not even accepted at the temple. By the way, we accept all ties here at Garden Way. <laughs> Don't get any ideas. They were also disloyal. Though he was Jewish, he was considered a traitor because he worked for the hated Roman occupying force. He had turned his back on his own family, his nation, and his God. Tax collectors were detested. They were classed with murderers and robbers, only they were considered worse. 
Jewish people despised them more than the Roman officials or even the soldiers. Sometimes little Jewish children would come up and spit at the tax collectors, encouraged to do so by their parents. They were disgraced. By extension, Levi's family would have been ostracized by the community. He was a letdown to his family. He would have been the source of great, great shame. And finally, tax collectors were defiled. He was considered an outcast and was excommunicated from the local synagogue. He was not welcome to come to worship in the temple. And according to the religious rabbis of the day, there was no hope for a loser like Levi. Well, we see that Jesus summons this disgraced, despicable, terrible loser. After looking at Levi, Jesus issues a very short command, follow me. Now, in the original language, it's in the present tense, so Jesus would have actually said something in English like, be following me, or start following along with me. And what Levi does next is pretty startling. He doesn't just put on a, a t-shirt that says Team Jesus. He doesn't just switch to the new team, but instead the text says that he rose and followed him. What I want you to see here is that he immediately obeys. He gets up and he goes. You see, Levi is not just giving intellectual assent to this new rabbi. But instead, he makes a decision of the will, and then he moves physically. He does something. In Luke's gospel, when he tells this same account, he provides some additional insight. It says, and leaving everything, Levi rose and followed Jesus. You understand how amazing this is? Levi left everything before he got up and went with Jesus. There needs to be a, a, a leaving before there can be a rising. We have to first make a decision, and then we have to act on that decision. Do you remember back in chapter 1 when Jesus called the, the first four disciples, the fishermen, that they, the, the text says they immediately left their nets and followed? And so here's a question for us to consider this morning. What, what is it that you have left to follow Jesus? Is there, is there anything that you're still holding on to? Maybe that would explain your lack of joy. You know, the, the freest people are those who have learned to leave things behind. Jim Elliott, the missionary to South America who lost his life, he was killed by the very people he came to share the good news with. He's famous for this quote where he says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You see, Levi's response was wholehearted. He made a break with his tax business. He didn't stop to gather up any shekels to tidy up his books. He left it all. He got up and he followed Christ. The four fishermen, they could go back to fishing. And in fact, they did on more than one occasion. But for Matthew, for Levi, he left it all behind. Tax collecting was gone. Somebody else would quickly sweep in and take over his business. You might have heard about the chicken and the pig who were walking down the road together. 
They passed a sign for the local diner advertising a breakfast special. Ham and eggs, $5.95. And the chicken said, that's our whole contribution to society, breakfast food. Well, you know what the pig said. For you, it might be a contribution, but for me, it's total commitment. <laughs> total commitment. Levi exercises complete obedience and commitment by following Jesus. You know, Jesus really picked a motley crew of disciples, didn't he? The first four guys are rough around the edges fishermen. The fifth is a despised tax collector. I never would have considered Levi. I, I probably wouldn't even consider some of you either, and you might not consider me. <laughs> there were a lot of surprised people that day. The crowd was confused. What is Jesus doing saying, follow me? to a tax collector. The disciples were dumbfounded. This guy is going to join Team Jesus? And Levi himself couldn't believe that the Lord would be calling him. Man, can you just imagine that? You know, Levi would have no doubt hit up those fishermen for taxes at some point in, in their careers. And so can you imagine the, the tension on, on Team Jesus between the guys? When Levi joins the team, how would you like to go to church with the IRS agent who's conducting an audit of your, your finances? You know, many years ago when I ministered in Northeast Portland, there was a guy who attended our church who was a correctional officer. He was a prison guard. And there, there was a, a state prison just a, a few miles from our church building. And, and there were a couple of occasions when this guy would tell me, that it was difficult for him when he would see someone that he recognized as an inmate from the prison who was at our church. And one time, after a new believer was baptized, this guy called me. And he said, I'm just really struggling because I know this guy's past. And I can't believe he's here in our church. And I remember kind of sharing with him about this story, about this passage. And I just said something along the lines of, you know, the Lord loves to put people with different pasts on the same team. And so the first thing we have to do is follow the Savior completely. Leave it all behind. And by the way, rejoice when others do as well. And that leads us then to the second thing that we have to do. And that is, once we're on Team Jesus, we need to focus on sinners. Focus on sinners. If you would have asked Levi at this point if, if he thought Jesus could use him as an evangelist, I imagine he would say, oh, that's a good one. What am I going to do? I, maybe, I kind of imagine him asking, what can I do? What can I do? And maybe he thought, well, uh, I, I don't know. What do I do well? Well, uh, I throw pretty good parties. And he thought, well, maybe I, I'm following Jesus now. Maybe that's not part of my life anymore. I probably shouldn't be doing that. But then it, maybe it hit him. What if I have a party with a purpose? What if I invite some of my tax collector buddies? And what if I invite Jesus and the guys over to my house? And what if, what if Jesus rubbed shoulder with all of my despicable friends? And what if there was some spiritual conversations that took place? That would be really cool. And so that's exactly what happens. And we're going to look at that in the text here. And I think there are three important factors that can help us as we think about what would it look like for us to focus on sinners. 
And the first thing that we can do is to express acceptance. Express acceptance. Look at verse 15. And as he reclined at table, that is as Jesus reclined at table in his house, that's Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many who followed him. Let's just think about this little passage for just a moment. The word recline is used twice here, and it referred to the practice of laying on your side, maybe leaning on some pillows with your head around the table. It's the posture that people took when they settled in for a long, relaxed meal. This wasn't some quick, eat it, gotta go out the door kind of thing. These guys were settling down to get to know each other. Then there's that phrase, at table. He reclined at table. And that's more than just being at a table, okay? That phrase is loaded with the idea that it's a term of identification and of friendship. In that culture, when you were at table with someone, you were saying, I accept you. I identify with you. They literally would eat from the same loaf sharing food. This was obviously long before COVID, right? They were taking food, breaking it off bread, sharing it, passing it around. Hey, this tastes great. Try a bite of this. Hey, have you tried this? It was an intimate, relaxed meal with friends who were trying to connect as they enjoyed a meal together. Well, we know that Levi's network of friends and acquaintances are not well thought of by the rest of the community. And so we'll just picture them there sitting around the table. They're eating nachos and cheese or probably not, probably uh, pitas and hummus or something like that. And they're talking about the local Capernaum soccer team. And Levi just kind of looks around the room and he looks across and he sees, oh, there's Peter. Peter's talking to two tax collectors. Bring it on, Pete, go for it. And there's John over there. Maybe John's talking to some of the local prostitutes that happen to be at the meeting as well. Wow. Levi observes this, and then he sees Jesus. And this whole crowd of people around this table, around Jesus, hanging on Jesus' words as he calls more people to follow him. Be following me. i got to imagine that Levi's mind was just blown Here's where he was, and here's here's where he is now. He can't believe it. And yet that night was just the beginning. Now, being a tax collector, I imagine Levi was pretty good with details, probably a pen and paper kind of guy. And for the next three years, maybe he recorded what he saw and what he heard as he followed Jesus. And of course, his writings become known to us as the Gospel of Matthew. He followed the Savior, and he focused on sinners. He had a heart for his lost friends and the guts to try and connect them to his newfound Savior. You know, some of the most effective evangelists are brand new believers. They still have lots of sinners in their life, and hopefully they keep talking about what Jesus has done for them. But you know, over time, Over time, our zeal can evaporate. 
And connections with non-Christians are often replaced with new friendships with Christians. Now, in one sense, that's a good and healthy thing. And frankly, some of us need to move away from some unhealthy relationships. But on the other hand, we need to make sure that we don't insulate ourselves from the very people that Jesus wants to reach. We are called to be looking for lost people in our lives, for opportunities to express acceptance. Not acceptance for sinful behavior or choices, but acceptance for people, the people who Jesus came to minister to. God has put you where you live on purpose for his purposes. And so are we looking at people with the eyes of Jesus? Last week, I asked many of you that were here to write down a few names of people on post-it notes, people that you knew who were far from God. And we've got them all displayed up here. I'm thankful for all of you that shared. And we're going to be praying over the next number of weeks for these people to connect, to connect with other believers and eventually to connect with Jesus. And it's, it's moving to me to know that our church is filled with people who I hope understand that this is a hospital for the hurting. I want you to know, if you want to add any more names today, we've got some more post-it notes and pens up here. Simply come up at the end of the service, fill one out. Again, you can put a name, you can put a code name, you can put initials. No last names, please. But just put them up here. Stick them on some of these boards. And then we're going to be praying faithfully for these people over the next number of weeks. In fact, let's take a moment just to pray right now. Father, Father God, we pray for our unsaved friends and family. Father, we pray that we would have the eyes of Jesus. Father, we pray that we would have the boldness of Levi to reach out to hurting and broken people and to help build bridges to connect them to you. God, help us to be creative as we think about how we can best do this. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So we express acceptance. The next thing that we do is we better expect some opposition then. Because guess what? If you mix it up with marginalized people, it's highly likely that you're going to be criticized. And that criticism often is going to come from those who are the most religious at times. We see this in verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I imagine they said it something like that as they kind of spit out those last words, tax collectors, sinners. How can he do that? Well, this is the first time that Mark mentions the Pharisees. The Pharisees were known as separatists. Literally, they were called the detached ones. Now, we can give props to them for attempting to obey the laws of God, but the problem was that they added a bunch of other laws onto God's list. And their number one rule on their list was to stay away from the unrighteous, the sinners, the tax collectors. 
And so the grouping, tax collectors and sinners, you see it's used three times in this passage to emphasize that the religious establishment frowned on sinners while Jesus focused on them. In their minds, the Pharisees had reached a place where they understood that they were better and more righteous than others. And these religious leaders literally hated Jesus for condemning good people, and they hated him even more for forgiving bad people. I want you to notice that the Pharisees come to the disciples to express their disdain. And so they they notice, eat with. Why does your rabbi eat with? And literally, it means always eating with. And so their observation is, why is your rabbi always hanging out with scum? That's what they're saying to him. Your rabbi is always hanging out with despicable people. And their their criticism, really, from Jesus' point of view, is a compliment, isn't it? They, They didn't have, first of all, the courage to confront Christ. Last week, we pointed out that the religious leaders criticized Jesus in their hearts, here we see them complaining to Jesus' followers. And it, but it won't be long. It won't be long before they will attack Jesus face to face. It really bothered them that Jesus would spend time with sinners. There was another time where Jesus really got the Pharisees worked up. Uh, Matthew, Levi, Matthew writes about it in chapter 21 of his gospel. When he, when these are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prophets go into the kingdom of God before you. Ooh, that's got to hurt. You see, friends, we are called to express acceptance to sinners. But when we do, We need to know there's going to be some opposition. And that leads to the third truth. And that is that we are called to emulate Jesus. Emulate Jesus. I love how Jesus reframes our understanding here. He takes this opportunity to clarify his mission. His entire purpose is to spend time with sinners in order to bring salvation to them. Look at verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, When he heard their complaints, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus here is quoting from a well-known proverb to silence his critics. As followers of Jesus, we must keep coming back to the example of Christ. If we claim to follow the Savior, we will focus on sinners. You know, a few years ago, a few years back, I I went to the urgent care. I wasn't feeling well, and so Sue took me to the urgent care clinic. And as we sat there in the waiting room, um, it was pretty evident that I I wasn't alone and not feeling well. We started looking around, and there's some people that look pale. One guy was kind of walking around slowly. Some were coughing and sneezing, and I said to Sue, this place is full of sick people. (laughs) Ah! And of course, no one's smiling, but we were there because I was sick. You see, hospitals aren't for healthy people, are they? When people are sick, they need a doctor. 
Jesus seeks out sick people. He doesn't just wait for them to come to him. He goes out and looks for them. You see, the church is meant to be a hospital for the hurting, not a hall of fame for perfect people. Can you imagine a hospital with a mission statement that said, we're here for the healthy. If you're sick, stay away. Or can you imagine a church that saw as its purpose to provide a place for perfect people? Can you imagine a church that said, only perfect people allowed here? Let's be clear. We exist to help the hurting, to minister to messed up people, to serve sin-sick people, and to love the unlovely so that they can have the privilege of having their sins forgiven, of coming to know the great physician. Our mission statement here at Garden Way Church, in fact, it's on the wall. Let's just read it together. Those three statements there make one statement. Let's read that out loud. To know him, to love him, to share him. We are followers of Christ. Because we follow him, we've come to love him as we've experienced his great love. And now we ask the question, does that love, does it motivate us to share him? That's what God calls us to do. Larry Bailey has been writing these great little articles that are on the back of my sermon outlines each week. And in today's article, uh, when he sent it to me, Larry mentions a a great quote by a a missionary by the name of C.T. Studd. And so I had to look that guy up. I'd never heard of him before. And uh, I came across another quote that really fits well with the message today. So first of all, thank you to Larry for these great articles. I encourage you to read them. But listen to this great quote. From C.T. Studd, he said, Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Think about that for a minute. Are you drawn to the chapel bells? Or are you drawn to the margins of hell to seek and to save the lost? Well, Jesus moves from an analogy to an appeal to his authority when he says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' purpose is to come and to bear our burdens, to become the sacrifice for our sins. But the Pharisees, they knew nothing of this, nothing of helping the hurting Instead, they were caught up in their own traditions, their preferences, and their political leanings. And those things were elevated above the pure love and law of God. The whole purpose of Jesus' coming is to save sinners. That is the essence of the gospel. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who used to be a Pharisee before he came to know Jesus, he captures it so well when he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul remembered where he came from. He remembered who he was, and he remembered the purpose that Jesus came for. The Pharisees thought of themselves 
as righteous. And so they looked down their noses on those who sinned differently than they did. To them, it was scandalous that Jesus would spend time with sinners. At the age of 36, Rosaria Champagne Butterfield was a recently tenured professor at the Center for Women's Studies at Syracuse University. Rosaria and her lesbian partner were members of the local Unitarian Universalist Church, where Rosaria was the coordinator of what's called the Welcoming Committee. That was the gay and lesbian advocacy group. Up to this point in her life, Rosaria said that the only Christians she knew were intellectually impaired. She says, they were the kind of people who sent me hate mail, or people who carried signs at gay pride marches that read, God hates fags. But her negative image of Christians would radically change when she met a local pastor named Ken and his wife, Floyd. Eventually, their friendship led to her conversion to Christ. And it is an amazing story. Her book is called The Secret Thoughts of an unlikely convert. I want to read just a few words from that book. Here's how Rosaria described her first encounter with authentic Christians. She writes, I remember being conscious of my butch haircut and the gay and pro-choice bumper stickers on my car. I remember awkwardly greeting my hosts at the door and pulling out my bag of two gifts, a bottle of good red wine, and a box of strong tea. I wanted to get to know these people, but not at the expense of compromising my moral standards. My lesbian identity and culture and its values mattered a lot to me. I came to my culture and its values through life experience, but also through much research and deep thinking. I liked Ken and Floyd immediately, because they seemed sensitive to that. During our meal, I remember holding my breath and waiting to be punched in the stomach with something grossly offensive. I believed at that time that God was dead and that if he ever was alive, the facts of poverty, violence, racism, sexism, homophobia, and war was proof that he didn't care a bit about his creation. I believed that religion was, as Marx wrote, the opiate of the masses. But Ken's God seemed alive and three-dimensional and wise, if firm. And Ken and Floyd were anything but intellectually impaired. Ken and Floyd did something at the meal that has a long Christian history. They invited the stranger in. Not to scapegoat me, not to correct me, but to listen and learn and to dialogue. We didn't debate worldview. They were willing to walk the long journey to me in Christian compassion. During our meal, they did not share the gospel with me. After our meal, they did not invite me to church. Because of these glaring omissions to the Christian script as I had come to know it, when the evening ended and Pastor Ken said that he wanted to stay in touch, I knew that it was truly safe to accept his open hand. 
since this beginning, the journey on which the Lord has taken me has been a great adventure. And this simple meal in a pastor's home was the first leg of that journey. Before I ever stepped foot in a church building, I spent two years meeting with Ken and Floyd on and off, studying scripture and studying my heart. Ken knew that at that time, I couldn't come to church. It would have been too threatening, too weird, and too much. So Ken was willing to bring the church to me. I find that amazing. As we close up, I want to just think about some action steps. What can we do to be people that bring the church to others? Let's think how we can apply this message. Well, first of all, first and foremost, we have to wholeheartedly follow our Savior. So is there something that you're holding back? Is there some hidden sin, some unwillingness to change? Is there an unforgiveness or a bitterness lodged in your heart against someone that's hurt you? What is it? You have to let it go. Let it go now, today. Get up and follow. Because he left all to follow Jesus, Levi's name was changed to Matthew. Matthew means gift of God. Have you received the gift of salvation? His call to each of us is the same as it was to Levi. Follow me. And then next, intentionally focus on sinners. Slow down so that you can see the Levi's around you. Take a look at your social calendar. You only hang out with holy people? Think of just one person. One person who doesn't know Jesus. What one thing could you do this week to spend some time with him or her? Maybe, maybe you could have supper with a sinner. When Oliver Cromwell ruled England, the nation experienced a crisis when they ran out of silver and they couldn't mint any more coins. And so Cromwell sent his soldiers to the cathedral to see if there was any silver available. They came back and reported that the only silver was in the statues of the saints, to which Cromwell replied, melt down the saints and get them into circulation. Well, folks, let's make that our prayer today. Let's ask Jesus to melt us down so that we can get back into circulation with the people around us that so desperately need Jesus. I mentioned earlier that red, white, and blue breakfast that Richie is putting together, and our hope is that you'll invite somebody. Pick up one of those flyers or two or three and take them with you and invite somebody to come and have a meal. Maybe they'll come with you and have breakfast. Maybe they'll stay for church. Maybe they won't, and that's okay. It's a first step at drawing your unsaved friends into the atmosphere of God's people. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray today that we would have a heart for broken people. 
Father, we pray that we would sense the urgency that you sense, Lord, that people around us are so lost, so far away, and Lord, that they need some sort of sign, some sort of hand that could pull them up out of the miry muck towards the truth of Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to think clearly, help us to think creatively, help us to have passion, help us to have urgency. God, bless us today as we leave this place that we might serve you, following you and focusing on sinners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing.